0: Hey, friends, I'm Rachel, host of the Hearing Jesus Podcast. If you are ready to grow in your faith and to confidently step into your identity in Christ, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Well, hey, everyone, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. And today we have my friend Addison Bevere on the show. Addison, thanks for joining us today.
1: Rachel, thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah. So I invited Addison on the show today because he has a message with his new book that so clearly echoes the message that God has burned my heart with. And um, Addison, I thought it might be good for you just to kind of introduce yourself and maybe a little bit about this book and what led you to write this new
1: book. Yeah. Absolutely, Rachel. I love that you said that it's an echo of what God has spoken to you yeah. and what way you've been walking through. For me, even the first chapter of Words with God, it's, it's entitled The Voice. And I take the reader on a journey into the canyon, into that place where we hear echoes, that place where we wonder, are we hearing the voice of God or is that an echo of our own thoughts, echo of our own fears, our own concerns, our own desires? And I think for so many of us, that, that's a wrestling. And I went through a season, and I share about this in chapter two of the book, But I went through a season of five years of insomnia, where so much about what I knew of God, what I knew about purpose, came under attack in ways that just they'd never come under attack before. And I had, I had reasons to question God's faithfulness, his presence, his goodness, that I hadn't encountered before. It was a series of different things that happened in my life. And it led me to the end of myself and a really like a complete break, breakdown. And so that's a bit of my story. I come from a great family. I have an amazing mom, amazing dad. They're both authors and speakers. And then I have a passion for prayer and specifically a prayer that integrates our lives, a prayer that brings a type of prayer that brings everything together so we can experience the wholeness and the peace and the promise of what it is to walk in communion and union with God. And so I'm, I'm married, been married for 15 years, and I have four kids, ages 13, 12, eight, and six, two boys, two girls. And I live in Nashville, Tennessee. So that's a bit about me. And I know we're going to get into the book and get into this idea of hearing God's voice. So yeah, I'll touch on more of that later.
0: Yeah. So your kids are about the same age as some of mine. So we need extra prayer
1: in this next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yes. Yeah, that's that's so true.
0: Yeah. You know, I, as I was reading your book, there were so many thoughts that I was like, oh, I've struggled with this too, or I've had this too. And then funny enough, I have insomnia too. Not so much now, but in the last, you know, last couple of years prior to starting the podcast. And so it's interesting to see how similar some of our journeys have been. And I, Mm -hmm. as I was reading some of what you've gone through, even when I wrote the book, the, the She Hears book, it came out of a, Place of deep pain, where I also kind of went to this place where I was in that dark night of soul, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's it's now or never. Like I don't know what to do at this point. I'm at the bottom of the valley, waiting and looking up and waiting for your voice. And you know, one of the reasons that I wrote the She Hear's book is similar to you know some of the things that you talk about in your book is this echo that I would hear. All over the world, like I would work in the bush of Africa, or I would be in inner city New York, or I'd be in my own local church, and specifically women would have these same questions. How do I tell the difference between God's voice, my own voice, and the voice of the enemy? And that's one of the questions that you wrestle with in this book. And one of the things I love that you say is that having words with God is about joining the conversation, not starting the conversation. I love that that that's how you phrase that.
1: Yeah. I mean, the reality is, Rachel, it's it's our desire. We were wired. We were made for intimacy with God. And so we want to believe that when we reach out to God, he's reaching back to us. We want to believe that we're having words with God and not words with ourselves. And for so many of us, we were brought up at a table of transactional prayer, of prayer that has very clear inputs and outputs. You kind of say the right things and do the right things. And then God shows up and does what god does and if you if you do it right if you get the formula right life works the right things happen they happen when you want them to happen they happen why you want them to happen and the the reality is anyone who's walked this journey for long enough they know that that's just not how this works and so the temptation is to throw up our hands and be like why would i have words with god when it seems like i'm just having words with myself is anything actually happening when i pray Or am I just yelling into the distance, yelling into the canyon? And something that I found, Rachel, that was a real source of comfort to me in this journey was that we really can't know how faithful God is. We really can't until we've journeyed through a life that has caused us to doubt his faithfulness. And that's why you mentioned y'all are going through the Psalms right now. That's why so much of the Psalms are lamentations. There's three different types of Psalms. And we are given permission through the songs of the Psalms. We're given permission to lay out our complaints, our words before God. I love what Psalm 142 says. David says, I lay out my complaints before you, God. He's like, I'm laying them out before you. And God showed me one time because I always felt bad. Like, God, I can't complain to you. Like, that's wrong. And God showed me. He said, hey, Addison, there's a big difference between you complaining to me And complaining about me. He said, I welcome your words. When you bring those words to me, I welcome those words. I welcome your doubts. It's kind of like God wants us to bring our doubts to him so we can put them on the shelf and together have a long look at these doubts and figure out what they're all about. Because the reality is, Rachel, there's so much about who God is, his character, his nature that we have to travel into that we have to learn and you and i were talking about this before the show and you mentioned this as we got into the show but this idea of the voice of the accuser and it is a very loud persistent voice in our lives and i make the point in chapter one and i continue this throughout the book that one of the reasons why we struggle really struggle to hear the voice of god to know with confidence that we're hearing the voice of God is because we actually look for God's voice in the voice and the tenor of the accuser. So the accuser's voice over our life is loud, is persistent. It's almost woven into the, the broken institution and reality of this world that we're in. We're formed, we're raised, in a sense, within a construct that has been defined by this voice of accusation. And so as we grow, as we learn, as we develop, we start to look to God to speak to us the way the accuser speaks to us. We expect God's voice to sound a lot like the accuser's. And I believe that God brings us into silence. He brings us into stillness because he wants to teach us to unlearn the voice of the accuser so we can learn the voice of God. Even if you look at Jesus, after the Father speaks beloved sonship over him, the spirit moves Jesus into the wilderness. And what is the first thing that the accuser says to Jesus? He says, if you're really the son of God, do something practical. Turn these stones to bread. Do something spectacular. Do something meaningful. Do something worthy of glory. And the accuser comes into our lives. He's like, hey, if you're really who God says you are, if you're really a good mom, if you're really a good friend, if you're really someone who's full of purpose, do this. Do that. You can never do that because you did that other thing. Like that's how the accuser comes in. It's a demanding voice, it's a demeaning voice. Whereas the voice of God actually teaches us that one of God's languages is silence, which is a terrifying prospect. Like what we really think about if you look at that moment with Elijah after he ran from Jezebel, after he had this massive victory with all the prophets of Baal being slaughtered and the fire coming from heaven, he runs and he hides away. And God comes to meet with him, but he doesn't come in the the spectacle of an earthquake or the wind or the fire. He comes in literally how it reads in in Hebrew. He comes in a thin silence. And we're terrified of that thin silence because we know that when we engage the thin silence, the accuser comes. But on the other side of the accuser, on the other side of saying, no, that's not who I am. I'm going to journey into the silence because I believe that is where I hear the voice of God. We hear the voice that has the right to define who we are and what we're called to become.
0: You know, Addison, it's so interesting to me. The listeners would recognize a lot of what you're saying in the things that I've had podcast episodes on because wow. there's so much similarity. And actually what I call that season of my life was my season of pit in this. And I talk about being in the cave like Elijah and how it was in that season where the Holy Spirit would send ravens to feed me and to nurture me and back into this place where I wasn't so afraid of the silence anymore. And it came after a season of ministry burnout. And so it's so interesting to me to see how we're both God's children and the way that we see him operate as a father, as a good father has been very, very similar. And one of the things that it just resonated with me when I was reading your book. I don't want to give too much of the book away because I want people to, <laughs> it, but, but you break it into these three sections, the canon, the temple and the dance. And, yeah. you know, the temple and the dance, of course, you know, I would love to get to, but I want readers to read about it. But that place of the canyon, I think is so relevant for what so many people are going through right now. And, you know, realistically, the last couple of years that we, what we've been through, our culture and our, Climate, even within the body of Christ, looks so different than it did, you know, four sure. five years ago. And there's been so many churches that have either shut down or they've drastically changed the way they do things. There's so many people that left church and kind of just never went back. The pandemic was really eye opening for those ministries and churches that were not healthy. The Lord used yeah. that to reveal a lot of things. And so, It gets confusing, I think, especially when you are somebody that has not really wrestled with some of these big issues before. But one of the things that you point out that I wanted you to speak to was about how at one point we knew that voice intimately. So if we think about this Mm -hmm. in terms of being back in the garden, we could not deny God's voice. And yet there's a disconnect between what we experienced then and what we're experiencing now, because like you said, we're searching for God within this voice of the accuser what do you think the disconnect is for people?
1: Yeah, well, we were made by God to participate in a form of, of rulership and a sense that like we were created to contribute. We were created to serve. We were fashioned in God's image in that likeness. Scripture uses the term dominion to describe what we as co-laborers, what we as sons and daughters of God, we are to grow into. And when we look at that garden scene, and and I think the garden scene, when it comes to the voice of the accuser, is such a great picture into the human struggle, not just a moment in time, but the human struggle. We find Adam and Eve wanting to go to whatever was behind the voice. They weren't content to rest in the faithfulness and the goodness of God and the mystery of God, because there is certainly a mystery. I mean, that's where faith and hope come into play. There's a mystery that comes with the voice. And so the accuser represents that restless voice that says, Hey, God's holding out on you. Like, God doesn't really care for you. God's not for you. God's actually trying to keep you from the good things that life has to offer. And the accuser, especially in these seasons of preparation, Rachel, in these seasons of waiting, you call it a wilderness season. In the book, I call it the canyon where we're letting go, like the wilderness is an important season of our lives. And it's not just a linear, like our lives do not work in a linear fashion. And, and I actually write about that in the section on the canyon about how sometimes it feels like we're revisiting old seasons. But the reality is like how you go up a mountain and switch backs up the mountain. You're higher on the mountain, but the view looks very similar. You're still looking at the same terrain. You're just higher. Don't believe the lie that you're where you've always been. And so the accuser comes after us in those moments to convince us that God has rejected and abandoned us. And if, you know, so we're recording this. I don't know when this will be released, but we're recording this during Holy Week. And so I have to tie this in because it's Holy Week. The reality that Jesus himself had to navigate the canyon is something that's incredibly encouraging for me. And if you look at what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter two and Hebrews four, the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus endured the temptations that we have to navigate, the trials that we have to navigate. And so he's able to sympathize with us and our weakness. And if you think about the cross, I know you're working through the Psalms. You think about the cross, Jesus quoted the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 22. He quotes David when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? And, and in case listeners don't notice, those are actually David's words that Jesus is quoting. Well, later in that Psalm, and that's the same Psalm where it talks about how they're going to essentially gamble for his clothing and they're going to bite at his heels and Later in that psalm, David declares, so it's a movement through the human experience, that psalm is, it actually captures what we navigate as humans in our journey, perceived separation from God. Later in that psalm, David boldly declares that God does not abandon the afflicted in their affliction. And he says that God does not turn his face or turn his back on them. And what Jesus gave us in this moment is a window into the reality that in order for Jesus to become like us in every respect, he had to navigate what I believe is the greatest temptation that we navigate as humans, that is perceived separation or abandonment from God. I believe that is our greatest temptation is to throw up our hands, that God has forsaken us, he has abandoned us, and it's amazing to me that we see this window into Jesus navigating through that moment. Because when we read like things like John 5, it says that Jesus lived in perfect harmony with the Father. He only did what he saw the Father doing. So he lived in harmony with God. But for for whatever reason, I'm not trying to get into theories of atonement right now, but for whatever reason on that cross, there was a moment where we where he had to move through, he had to move through a sense of abandonment. And when they would quote a psalm they would be quoting or calling to mind the entire movement of that psalm because that psalm was a song that they would sing. And so in the same breath that Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is also crying out with David, God, you do not abandon the afflicted and their affliction. You do not turn your back on them. And we, as the people of God, as we're navigating a world that is a broken world, but in its redeemed, and God's redemptive plan somehow reveals to us, even through its breaking and its brokenness, reveals to us the goodness and the faithfulness of God. We're allowed to hold those two, you know, in our hands. The, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And also the truth that you do not abandon me in my affliction. And the accuser is actually terrified of us holding that tension. He doesn't want us to do that.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things you talk about in the book is something that I alluded to before that I also experienced and I think a lot of people experience is what starts with burnout, you know, gets us to this place where we can easily feel abandoned by God's presence. And while we know that's not true, like intellectually, we know that's not true. It doesn't always feel that way because that voice of the accuser has permeated that space. And then we end up, especially for in ministry or we're, even for people that are doing lay leadership type work, like you said, on one hand, we were created for that role. We were created to serve God. And yet the enemy comes in and starts speaking in the midst of that place. And so that burnout leads us to this place where we just want to put our hands up and back up. But yet then when we step out of that role, we're no longer fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. And then it becomes like this vicious circle. And I think one of the things that you talk about that I think is so helpful that I want to spend a little bit of time on is what it means to unlearn the voice Mm. of the accuser so we can Mm. more clearly hear God's voice. And that's not to say that, you know, there aren't other reasons for burnout. And I think your experience was probably similar to mine. I was doing way too much stuff for God and it was taking place of my relationship with God and so there's lots of different reasons for burnout but I think for some people we get so focused on what we're doing instead of just being in his presence and listening to his voice and so what would you say about unlearning that voice of the accuser
1: wow That's a massive, massive question. Okay, so a few things. I'll speak from my experience, and then I'll share some things that I believe are universally true. And you just described this, Rachel, as you were talking about your own experience. You're like, look, I was doing good things, but I was doing too much. And what I was doing was actually keeping me from encountering the presence of God, the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. And there's something about purpose where we largely get purpose wrong. We largely get calling wrong. We have a very singular transactional view of purpose and calling when it comes to God, just as we have a very transactional view of prayer. And so we're like, man, I've got to figure out the thing, that one thing. And then it's like, God, give me the answer. This is essentially like how we interact with God. Like we go on fast, we pray, and all those things are good. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to our purpose, God's not saying, hey, I'm going to seek me and I'm going to give you the answers. And then I'll get out of your way so you can go do what you need to do. Like the whole idea of purpose is actually to come to know the character of God. And if I'm honest, Rachel, in this season, I was like, hey, God, give me the answers so I can get my life together and then get out of my way so I could be essentially the master of my life. And I wouldn't have articulated it quite like that. But the truth is, when I look back on the decisions that I was making and the posture of my heart, I was like, man, God. This is really about me, you know, validating my own pride or checking a box and getting stuff done or whatever that looks like. And I realized something in this season, Rachel, I realized that God won't deliver us from a thing if that thing is going to deliver us to him. Like we cry out and we're like, God, like change this situation But God's like, actually, you know what? This situation is bringing you to your knees and is actually going to deliver you from the thing that is perpetuating this situation. It's actually going to deliver you to me. And it is in my presence and my goodness and my grace, which is the ability. Grace is literally the infusion of the divine. It's the ability to go beyond our natural ability. It's like I can give you my grace in this place. And so I would share that because the voice of the accuser comes after us and says, do, 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 do on repeat. And it's very much, when we talk about do, what the voice of the accuser will do is we'll we'll point out things that you really can't do anything about. We'll point out things that are in your past, whereas God, in the way the Spirit leads us into action, the Spirit leads us with hope, with conviction, not condemnation, with hope, With clarity of vision, with trust, with faith. And it's not a striving. I mean, I mentioned Hebrews for earlier. The writer of Hebrews says, strive to enter the rest. Like it is difficult to enter this kind of rest, but it's worth it. And for those of you out there, you're like, Addison, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm terrified of the silence. I want you to know that the silence is not rejection, the silence is actually an invitation. And in that season of my life, and I, and I write about this in Words with God, where I went two years without sensing or feeling the tangible presence of God. I was reading my Bible every single day. I was praying faithfully. I was going after God. I was. But I felt like God had completely abandoned me as far as his, his tangible presence in my life. And what's amazing, though, Rachel, coming out of that season several years ago, as I had no idea the capacity in me that was being formed and forged in that season for me to unlearn the voice of the accuser, which is so self-oriented and self-focused, and for me to enter into a form of living, a consciousness, and awareness that sees this world as something more than the sum of my own cares, concerns, and problems. Because the accuser and the accuser's voice is going to try to shrink your world until it is so small and fixated on you and what you can't do, what you shouldn't do, what you're not capable of doing, whatever it is. Whereas the voice of God, and this is where I I move into later in the book, where I'm talking about the dance, it pushes us out, not in a forceful way, but in in like a dance. It guides our lives out into the spaciousness, the expansiveness that God designed us to enjoy, the real type of purpose, the real action that we're called to pursue. But so many of us, if we don't spend the time to really get to know God in the silence, we'll confuse action and the purpose that God has for us. We'll confuse it for the instructions and the words of the enemy. And there's an old quote, and I love it. I think you'll enjoy this. And I I put it in the book. It's from Mater And it simply goes, we don't know each other yet. We have yet to be silent together. And when I think about God and the way God invites us into words and into a presence of a person who's so far beyond anything that we experience anything anywhere else, we have to realize that there are things about God and things about us that we only, only come to terms with, only come to see in the thin silence.
0: Yeah. And I think we try to avoid the silence so often because it feels uncomfortable. But yet, like you said, there's Aspects of God's character and nature we only learn in the silence. There's things we learn about ourselves that we can only learn in the silence. And one of the things that you said I wanted to hit on was when we're talking about our purpose, I think that's what people get so tripped up on sometimes, where and that's what I hear from a lot of women is I just want God to tell me what my purpose is so I I don't I stop wasting time and I can get to work. And yet yeah. what we what scripture communicates to us is that our purpose is to know him. And then to make him known. And I think for me is I would get so caught up on the making him known part that I would forget about the knowing him part. And so for me now, I think after I've gone through that season where I went through that season of hiddenness and then a season of silence and this season of wrestling, I had to get back to this place where the primary purpose of my life was to know him and stop skipping over that point to make him known to others. And I think that's a really helpful tool for people that might be saying, okay, I'm doing all the things. And like you said, I'm not hearing his voice. I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm, you know, I'm worshiping. I'm in prayer. But yet for me, I think, especially in ministry, so many times I would be doing all those things with the intention of then pouring that back out into other people, mm-hmm. not with the intention of just simply being in his presence. And one of the things that I tell people all the time is that silence is okay. Sometimes it's just about being in his presence because that presence is holy and healing. And, you know, there's times with even with my husband, we can be in the same room and be silent together. It's not about the conversation. It's about the presence of each other. And so if we could translate that into our relationships with God, I think that is a part that people miss out on is that silent presence, because we're really looking after or seeking that word, that fresh word. We want a fresh word from God and we want to, you know, experience that tangible presence, but sometimes the presence is in the silence. And so I love that you talk about that in the book. I would say as we start to close out, I'm going to have you pray for our audience, but I think I'd like you just to maybe leave off with a word for somebody that is in a season of, they've been striving, you know, they're I see them on the podcast, they binge listen to certain series that we've done. Like I can tell sure. somebody or somebody will reach out to me in email and they're like, I'm doing all the things, but yet sure. they're avoiding the silence. I think maybe speak to the person that is afraid of the silence and then even a little bit about how to journey through the silence in prayer, yeah. because I think once we get silence, we try to drown that out. And maybe it's not the voice of the enemy, it's our own voice, whether it is social media or relationships or whatever it is, because we can be so uncomfortable with silence. So that's really been the prayer of my heart is Lord, help me to be okay with the silence because I know you're there.
1: Yeah, no, that's so good. What came to mind as you were sharing that problem, Psalm 65, there's a verse that says, praise waits for you in silence. And there's this reality that we really don't know the goodness and faithfulness of God until we've moved into silence. We don't really know how to pray, how to rejoice, how to praise. And a lot of that is due to some of the religiosity that we've grown up in, where prayer is is singular, it's transactional. It's something you do at specific times, at specific places. And, and so much of this book, Words with God, Trading Boring Empty Prayer for Real Connection, so much of it is this idea of letting prayer out of the closet if you will and into every part of our lives because God wants to have words with us all throughout the day. And if we're honest Rachel, we spend more of our lives not talking than we do talking. Like if you actually look at it, we talk less than we think. But the reality is when we're thinking, we're not really alone with ourselves because we're so distracted. We're watching things, we're scrolling on phones, we're doing whatever. And we're inundated with a by a voice of comparison, by a voice of accusation, by a voice that you're never enough. So I want to share a couple things about the way God moves through purpose. There's a proverb, and I just I looked it up to make sure it's Proverb twenty verse five, and it says, "Purpose in the heart of a man or a woman is like deep waters, but a man or a woman of understanding will draw it out." And I want to tell people who listen to this, like your purpose, your calling, what God's placed on you in you. It's something that he wants to have a conversation with you about. He's not giving you all the answers right now because, frankly, you're not ready for all the answers. He will give you those answers when you're ready for them. And this proverb, it leads to a well. When you think about a well, you don't drink from a well one time and then you're done. I'm not talking about John 4 here, Jesus, well, and the Samaritan woman. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about practically, you don't drink from a well one time. You go back and you draw again and again, and again, and again. And this is what the proverb is communicating. Purpose is like a deep well. It's like deep waters that we draw out and we drink from. And so it's going to take time. The, the lie that tells you that your calling or your purpose is discovered in a day, don't listen to that lie. Your purpose is not discovered. It's actually cultivated through a lifetime of discoveries. I want you all to hear that. A lifetime of discoveries. And prayer is where that becomes so real to us and real in how our lives move into every part of our world. And as far as as the silence goes, like we have to believe that God does speak to us in silence. That if we'll move into the silence and just think about it practically. Like that's so countercultural. That's so other, that's so holy when compared to the patterns and the way of this world. Like, of course, God would speak to us like that. Jesus modeled this. Even Jesus, who lived in perfect union with the Father, would steal away for entire nights sometimes and be with God in silence. Like, do you think he was praying the Lord's Prayer that entire time? No. He was in silence, spending time with God, listening, receiving. And I think it goes back Rachel, I think it goes back to the idea that that God truly has abandoned us, that he has has left us alone in our plight. And the enemy is always going to share that with us to keep us from engaging with the silence and discovering that it's actually the silence where we are affirmed, where we are heard, where we are seen, where we realize, as I say in chapter one, the voice even speaks within the echo. The voice God's even moving within our own thoughts, our own concerns. Like He can't be constricted to that, but He will work through that. And whatever we bring to Him, including our so our silence, whatever we bring to Him in surrender, God can restore to us more vibrant, more alive, more true to who we're created to be. And so, that is a great invitation to know that praise does wait for Him inside awesome I mean, I think of the Psalmist Psalm forty six. It says that be still and know that I am God. Like there's a stillness that comes with that. There's a knowledge that comes with it. And that's an incredible invitation. So that's what I would share.
0: I feel like we could probably talk all day about, (laughs) about this, but I want people to read your book. So we'll probably, I think we need to wrap it up. But what I would like to ask from you, Addison, is you would pray for the person right now that's listening that is on the cusp, like they want to get there, but there's some fear yeah. there. And and I think sure. if I think about those seasons in my own life, I think not now, but I think prior to going into that season, I would have said, this all sounds great. Like I want to welcome the silence. I want to get to a deeper sense of understanding God's presence in my life. But that silence feels scary to me. And I think right now we're in a season culturally where people have become addicted to noise. I mean, in the last couple of years, the, the noise has been what has been distracted people from dealing with those real and raw emotions. And one of the things you said earlier to, in our conversation was this thought process where perhaps it's okay for us to go to God with the things when they're going well, but it's much more difficult for us to go to God when things aren't going so well. And and actually, it's funny because that was the title of one of the podcast episodes about how there's a difference between complaining to God and complaining about God. Really, Which is exactly what wow. he called me <laughs> right when that. I was going through that season. So wow. I feel like he was like, all right, kids, come on. This is there's what another... I tell you Because it was almost verbatim, the exact same thing the spirit shared with me. So it's, it's I think, a little bit of a confirmation probably for both of us. But I think until I got to that place where I could lean in and say, okay, God, I am going to complain to you because this sucks right now. And I don't understand it. I trust you, but I don't understand it. And I think
1: it's
0: such a measure of faith to go to God with those hard feelings, hard emotions, hard thoughts. And so maybe if you could pray for the person that's right there and yeah. wh- is where were you and I were a couple years ago, where they're recognizing this, they're recognizing that this is the this next season that they're headed into, and there's some fear there. And maybe pray in a way that what you would have needed prayer for, or what I would have needed prayer for when we were in that. No,
1: so. no, absolutely. And I, and I love I love what you share. Before I pray, I just want to share one thing real quickly about what you shared. That is faith. Faith is when you can't see the end. And so faith is journeying through our doubts. Those are holy. Those are precious to God. And the enemy doesn't want us to bring those to God. The enemy wants us to weaponize our doubts, our insecurities, our fears, and do what? Make a lot of noise toward a lot of people. And if you look at the rhetoric of our day, it's the accuser working through people to spread a spirit of accusation. It's not moving toward wholeness. It's not moving toward wellness. It's not moving toward understanding and reconciliation. It's just polarizing people because that's what the accuser does. And so just look at the fruit of the way we're living. Look at the fruit of the lack of silence. Look at the fruit of what I would call frantic inaction. Like, seriously, what's actually getting done? What's actually getting accomplished? And so I want to affirm, y'all listening, like, whatever it is, God's not afraid of it. So as we enter this time of prayer, I feel like we keep going back to Hebrews. Hebrews 4 talks about how the reality of truth, the word of God, pierces and divides. Soul, spirit, bone, marrow. There's nothing hidden. So it's all like God's going to be like, oh, my goodness, wow, I had no idea you were navigating this doubt. He is already intimate with these doubts. So what can be mentioned can be managed. And when we articulate these things to God, the Spirit of God will come in and give us fresh eyes. It doesn't mean that our situations are going to change automatically, but we will grow in understanding of the Father's heart and the Father's nature. And that will start to transform how we engage with whatever we find ourselves in right now. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the comforter. We thank you, God, that we don't have to pray perfectly in order for you to do a perfect work in our lives. God, I I thank you that you designed prayer, that you designed us to have words with you in the dysfunction, in the confusion, in the dissonance of our lives. And so, Father, I pray for courage for everyone listening. I know this is scary, I know this is risky. This is not the easy thing to do, but I pray that you would give them the will to do your will, as Paul writes about Philippians 2, that they would have that boldness, that tenacity to reach out again, to reach out and touch and see, God, that you have not abandoned them, to be people who boldly cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then later discover that you are indeed the one who does not abandon the afflicted. In their affliction. God, I pray that you would deliver them from the things in these these moments of adversity and trial. I pray that you would deliver them from the things that keep them from being delivered to you. And God, just as we pray in the prayer that your son taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. I think that that's actually a proclamation that the temptation is not our final destination. That's not where we will end, that we will go through that, that there's something on the other side of it. And God, I pray that they would live in that confidence, knowing that there is something on the other side of what they're facing right now. And the accuser has no right to steal the substance, the meaning, the purpose of this season. I pray that they would have eyes to see this season for what it is. I pray that they would have eyes to see your faithfulness and your goodness, even in the middle of their pain and their questions and their lack of confidence, Father. I pray that they would find a strength that can only be found and you, and Holy Spirit, again, I pray that you would comfort them through all of this. It is in the name that is above every name that we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Aniston, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's a blessing to me. It's a blessing to spend some time with you, and I know it's going to be a blessing to those that are listening.
1: Thank you, Rachel. It was an honor to be on here, and thank you for the work that you're doing. Please keep doing it.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. Hey friends, as we lean into a new month and we continue to learn and grow together, there's a couple resources I wanna make sure you know about so you can take advantage of. The first is our Patreon page and the link for that is in the show notes. And on the Patreon page, we have a couple things. We have a dedicated space that is for discussion, for asking questions. You get easy access to me where we talk about things, we hold each other accountable. There are resources that go with the show, like a journaling prompt, worksheet download for every single adult show. We also have family discussion guides. And what's really been neat about those is that on the kids show, every day I talk about the same content that's on the adult show, just taught in a way that kids can understand. Then the family discussion guides create an environment for you to process that information with your children. You can use that at the dinner table or even as part of your devotional routine. There's some suggested prayer and activities and things to help you connect that content to the appropriate age for your children. So all of that is on the Patreon. Also, there's some prophetic words, extra videos, transcripts, all those kinds of things. The second is on our website. If you go to shehears.org, there's a shop resources page that has my Bible studies that I've written, links to different journaling Bibles, note-taking Bibles, all sorts of resources to help you grow. And then also on our website, we have the coaching section. If you are finding that you need some spiritual direction or life coaching, that is available for you as well. And that's really good to help you process what you're learning. If you're feeling stuck, if you need to work through something, if something just isn't sitting right, or if you want to teach this content and you need to help develop a plan, I'm available to help you do that as well. Again, all of these are resources to help you grow in your spiritual life and hear God's voice more clearly. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hey, friends.